we've got a lot of questions from the community talking about and asking uh, how audio has been created for Path of Titans with, you know, environment, dinosaur calls, and everything else. And, you know, we wanted to answer some of the questions that people have been asking. So many people have sent in questions through our, um, our email, and we have a bunch of answers with uh, Val Teal here himself. Say hi, Val. Hello. Hi, everybody. Thanks for checking it out. So first question we have from Up From The Depths, and he has asked, what influenced you to get into sound design and music composing? And are there any inspirations for the music you've created or plan on creating in the future? That's always a great question to start with, huh? <laughs> um, I'd say what influenced me to get into sound design and composing, the composing came first. Um, it was, I mean, I'm 32 years old. I started playing stringed instruments primarily guitar and bass when I was about 12, 13, right on the cusp of that. And um, not too long after getting into that, I really just started getting really curious as to how and why things sounded the way they did. I think that's how a lot of uh, sound designers get started, is you hear things that you really, really enjoy the sound of, and you're like, well, I want to replicate that, or I want to understand that, or I want to just figure out what makes that tick. Really, the curiosity element is what guides a lot of musicians into sound design and that was definitely the case for me um what influenced me really there were just a handful of records uh probably around it was around kind of the mid late 90s and then some of the early 2000s like a, it, it all started with music for me a lot of the kind of grunge era you know uh stone temple pilots old tool alice in chains that kind of stuff you know loving the sounds of those records and then going into the um into the 2000s, you know, where I would have been at 2000, I was 13 years old. I was right about when I started uh, actually really playing instruments. And then there were just a couple, embarrassingly enough, new metal records at the time that there were some that just had some really, really interesting production uh, in them. And even to this day, I still can't quite wrap my head around exactly how certain things were done. And that was what got me on the sound design sort of path was wanting to get under the lid, under the hood of these sounds and figure out what made them tick and why I liked them and how I could then incorporate that into what became writing, recording, and then mixing and producing all my own music and uh, stuff like that. Um, so that was really what got me started. And then what kept me in that af after that point going into the mid 2000s was a lot of video game soundtracks. I mean, my name Valtiel, for some that recognize that, comes from Silent Hill 3. I'm a huge fan of the Silent Hill soundtracks, and anybody that's familiar with those will definitely hear some of the similarities in uh, some of the work I've posted up until this point. And if you haven't seen that, um, that's here on our YouTube channel. Uh, probably stick a link down in the description for that, for the uh, work in progress soundtrack video, which was posted a couple months ago. Um, yeah, so a lot of that, uh, not only the music side of it, but then the sound design component of it as well. Um, Akira Yamaoka, the uh, sound designer slash composer behind all the Silent Hill stuff, kind of famously used a lot of weird esoteric sounds for making monster sounds, things like various different animals. I mean, not too dissimilar to how uh, when we get into talking about dinosaur sounds, how you go about creating those as well. So a lot of that inspiration in, was in there too, because it was weird monster sounds that you weren't necessarily used to hearing, you know, not your traditional monster sounds, quote unquote. So um, that was kind of what kept me going at, uh, in terms of the sound design 
trajectory with video games. And then, uh, yeah, at that point, I had built a studio in my home, uh, just a home studio set up, nothing crazy fancy or anything, and uh, just dove in to figure out how to make those things happen. And the rest was kind of history for me, I guess. And there was a second part to the question too here, right? Uh, inspirations to the music you've created and plan on creating in the future. Um, a lot of what I just said uh, speaks to the inspiration of that. A lot of the old, uh, lots of horror things inspire uh, a lot of the sound design stuff that I do and the music that I create. Um, I'm really into the psychology of all that kind of stuff and figuring out how to make things as kind of visceral and disturbing as possible which you know can only go so far in the dinosaur game but it's still definitely applicable to creating a lot of the more visceral components to the sounds and whatnot and then from a musical standpoint um i'm definitely inspired by a lot of a wide wide range of stuff anything from the uh, new agey electronic ambient stuff all the way to you know what's going on in modern metal music these days you know i love like the the doom soundtrack for anybody that's not familiar with that or for those that are is a great example of how lots of modern metal can inspire um soundtrack work in video games and stuff like that's a great example and i've learned a lot from mick gordon the uh, composer behind that uh, via some of his talks and whatnot so yeah i'd say that's a good amount of my inspirations presently and moving forward awesome uh we have another question from crgkto um and he asks uh, hello everyone first of all incredible job valtiel i love every oh, single sound and track of this game my question is how much time do you spend for let's say the latin broadcast and what software do you use good question um well the latter uh, I use Logic Pro primarily, um, and then lots of, you know, VSTs and plugins and stuff. I like a lot of sample libraries from IK Multimedia, uh, Spectrosonics, um, Boom Audio uh, makes a lot of great, uh, they make a few great animal libraries that I use for animal sounds, which we'll get to in a little bit when we talk about the dino calls a little bit more. Um, and they also have a good creature library, which is um, probably the only sorts of sounds that I use that would be considered kind of prefab sounds that are already mixed to sound like monster kind of creature elements. But I use those as supplements along with the animal sounds, which I'll speak to um, a little bit more uh, a little bit later on. And then the Latin broadcast, um, when I work on uh, an individual dinosaur sound, I'll tend to, I've initially been working on getting the main three core sounds for the dinosaurs done that are really the identifying uh, sort of character of the dinosaur, your aggressive and your broadcast and your friendly calls. Um, so the broadcast, you know, would be one of those three. And if I kind of lump that in to uh, to say that that those three calls take me a couple days, you know, I'd say the broadcast probably takes me a day or two. Um, because a lot of it is trial and error and really kind of trying something. And I could go down the path of something for three, four hours and then just find out this really just isn't working. I need to either scrap this one part of it or scrap the whole thing and start over. So that's why I can sometimes take a day or two. Other times they might come together in just a few hours. Um, the more I've been 
working on them and the more I've kind of learned my way around, you know, what works and what doesn't work in the context of making specifically dinosaur calls, they tend to go a little bit faster. But um, yeah, initially I would say anywhere from a few hours to a day or two for um, an individual call and then a small set of calls per dinosaur. Yeah, and I also know that sometimes when we're looking at the calls and listening to what you've done, we might think this call is nice, but it doesn't quite suit this particular dinosaur that we were actually going for this time around. So sometimes what we do is we just, this is good, let's put it to the side, we can maybe use it for a future dinosaur, because maybe it's a little too heavy for for this small dinosaur or whatever. So it, it never usually just gets chucked away, like we always just save it for the future kind of thing for most of these. Yeah, because I'm not going to get them all perfect, you know, the first time. There's always going to be a revision sort of uh, step in there. And Jiggy and I will will talk back and forth. And yeah. yeah, she'll have said to me, like, this one is great. This thing, this works, but this is a little too much this. So this isn't quite enough that. And then either go back to the drawing board, uh, start over or make little tweaks and stuff like that. It's all, yeah, part of the iterative creative process. And it's all difficult because there's not really any real dinosaurs around today to actually base it off. You kind of have to make it up as you go. There's a lot of good examples of, you know, documentaries and movies and stuff, but you don't want to just copy what they've got, right? You want to make something unique. Absolutely. And uh, it is funny because we will inevitably see that. And we have seen that people talking about referencing real dinosaur calls. Everything that you've ever heard with regards to a dinosaur call has been made up by somebody. You know, we have very, very little information as to how anything really sounded. You know, we have contemporary examples like, you know, the alligators and crocodiles that we've talked about, which are used a lot in dinosaur calls because they're basically just modern day dinosaurs. But when it comes to some of the other guys, uh, it's it's guesswork at best, you know, so and that's we just base off of, you know, there there are kind of established precedents for things like for the big, you know, dinosaurs like your T-Rexes and your raptors and your stegosaurus and your brontosaurus. There are kind of we've sort of culturally come to a conclusion as to what we think they sound like. And you kind of work off of that, because if you don't work off of that everybody you know will kind of feel that like this doesn't feel right but at the same time there's so much creative license that you can take you know for your own interpretation about what this might sound like and that's exactly what we're doing yeah all right next question from tundra hunter will there be a main theme to represent path of titans as in an iconic melody that may also be used in different tracks and are we focusing only on tribal music or will there be other genres as well there absolutely will be a main theme. Uh, we I've been working on uh, a couple little things. Actually, Jiggy and I literally just went back and forth yesterday about this. Um, the main kind of main menu theme for the game, whether or not that ends up being the main theme to represent the game or just the main menu theme that's for that, you know, probably yet to be determined. But there absolutely will be um, our interpretation of a main Path of Titans theme. Um, and that will... Uh, as uh, Tundra Hunter pointed out, include elements of tribal music, but um, there will be definitely, I mean, tribal's a kind of a, a, I don't want to say a safe fallback because that makes it sound like a a cop-out, but it's a very appropriate thing to use for for a dinosaur game. And, uh, but there will definitely be other elements as well. There'll be uh, orchestral elements. There'll be lots of kind of ambient, sort of droning kind of atmospheric elements as well because um 
music in a big sandbox MMO can be a little bit tricky. It's not a linear experience that you can design music around. So the music you do put in there can't be terribly obtrusive uh, unless it's event based or something like that. Um, so it will be a lot of kind of just nice background, easy listening things in terms of the background ambience of the game. And then there'll be some more pointed stuff, you know, for uh, for big themes or like I said, event based stuff, whether it's combat related or quest related or when you die, you know, in the game, things like that. Uh, so there'll definitely be a number of elements. Tribal music will definitely be one of them. But yeah, a lot of that kind of ambient electronic influence. Trying to keep it organic sounding, though, I don't want to go to the direction of it being ambient electronic that sounds, you know, like Blade Runner or something like that. Um, and uh, potentially other elements as well that I haven't come up with yet, because there's a lot of experimentation involved with this. And, you know, there could very easily be some things that I could never guess right now once you kind of set down that path of creating music for the game. So we'll see. So we have another question. Um, from Millie, how did you come up with the idea for the soundtrack, and has there been any certain inspiration for it? Oh, okay. Uh, I would say kind of building on the, the what I said previously, um, the the inspiration would definitely have been kind of feeling like, what would I like to hear in this environment, uh, combined with what I mentioned about music and sandbox-style MMO games being a little bit tricky because it can't be super you know intrusive um, and it needs to be able to kind of float in and out and blend as you're moving around the world um, so i would say some of the uh it's definitely inspired by uh the main theme that people have heard up until this point that's in a lot of our videos there are a lot of great uh sort of djembe and frame drum kind of loops and samples that i was using from an old sony uh sample library that I had arranged into some um, uh, rhythmic pieces in there. Uh, that was kind of the initial, probably what Tundra Hunter was talking about with uh, the tribal music, because that that feels very much like that. I would say that was kind of the beginning uh, inspiration for a lot of this stuff. And then working from there, uh, working in the kind of ambient uh, elements that I spoke of previously there, because that just feels appropriate for this type of game. Um, but then other inspirations, like that's what I have up until now, and I could be inspired by something tomorrow, you know, and I can be inspired by something six months from now that could end up in there that I haven't foreseen yet. Um, but overall, I would say it's just the kind of feeling out what feels appropriate for a game like this. You know, you're not going to really have electric guitars or something like that doing traditional electric guitar things in a dinosaur game like this, you know, unless yeah. they're yeah, heavily I, disguised or something. We, uh, I know at least I've been helping a little, a little bit with like the, the general audio direction that we've been wanting to go for. And there's very certain things like we didn't want any choir or human voices in the soundtrack right. at all because right. that kind of takes you out of it if you're trying to play as a dinosaur and suddenly you hear a, a, a man or a woman singing. Like, it's kind of a bit out of there. There's just a few things like that. And you try and incorporate tribal sounds where you can have uh, drums, woodwinds, stuff like that, um, just to try and keep it feeling primitive. Not necessarily you know, tribal in that sense, but more like primitive old. and yeah. old. Yeah, that was kind of what we were going for, for a lot of the sounds. Um, like you mentioned, though, um, there will be more orchestral and things and stuff as well uh, mingled in with there, just so it's not the same the whole time. But right. yeah. 
Yeah, and that gets a little tricky too with incorporating human elements. I mean, a person playing a drum or a person blowing into a woodwind instrument, there becomes a kind of a human element to that that you have to be careful of that you don't use too much of because then it can kind of start feeling like the choir you mentioned where it's like, oh, this is starting to feel too much like a human being playing this thing and that, you know, it, for a lot of people, they might not mind that at all. But for the that kind of vibe of really trying to keep as much of the human element out of something that is inherently created by humans, a little bit difficult. Yeah. But um, yeah, having having woodwind instruments and those things really as ambient elements and less like this song is a solo flute piece kind of thing. You know? Yeah, um, definitely the goal there. All right. Well, moving on to dinosaur calls. A lot of people have questions about how you've made them, what you use to make mm -hmm. them, etc. So um, we have someone, uh, Rick Rabbit, asking, uh, what are your favorite inspirations for calls? Where do you look for your inspiration? That's a really interesting question because that's kind of one part creative and one part technical. Because in one sense, there's the creative element. Like I remember, Jiggy, you showed me a... Um, from way back, uh, what, what, what was that? The T-Rex the busting through the window, the big roar from that old dinosaur game. Is that Dino Crisis? Uh, Dino Crisis, Dino Hunter. There's there's a bunch of these older ones where they have the CD compression on the audio quality and yes. stuff like that. <laughs> but it was interesting because definitely by modern standards, it would be considered to be fairly low quality. But the same energy would came across and the same sort of feeling came across, which is this is big and dangerous, you know, and scary. And really it was just kind of a wall of distortion <laughs> and it wouldn't be something that I would use uh, necessarily for the core of a call these days, but that is an element that you can use. And that became the inspiration for, I think when I was working on, um, I think it's a call that's actually been shelved right now. It's something that we're not using yet, but we're going to plan on using for a future dyno in layering in just a big wall of distorted kind of aggressive low end. That's not too muddy just to give it a wall of sound kind of vibe. And that I got inspiration from that. It doesn't sound anything like, you know, that particular dyno call that you mentioned. But it, um, it was inspiration of, oh, if I just use a layer of a big wall of distortion, and I would do that by, you know, maybe taking an alligator call that doesn't have a lot of uh, volume or pitch fluctuation to it that's pretty steady. And then I might just, you know, using, um, using plugins and logic uh, decapitator by Sound Toys is one of my favorite plugins for doing this for any of you sound design people out there. Just use that to just distort the crap out of it and just make it a big aggressive wall of something to layer into the call to give it that energy while using the other elements that I will speak to in the next couple questions here to kind of flesh out the character, uh, the actual animal character of the call. Other inspirations might just be, I mean, a, a absolutely perfect example of an inspiration that actually Jiggy had was listening to those goofy ravens out there in Australia <laughs> and the, uh, the calls that they make. And she just heard that and thought that would be a really cool kind of basis to work off of a call for. Um, and then using a bit of that kind of animal sound layered in with other things, but also using the, um, the cadence of it. Uh, that was an inspiration as well. And then other times you'll just hear a particularly good lion roar or a really good elephant call or something like that when you're, you know, shopping around for animal sound libraries to be able to record. I recorded here at my home. Uh, there's a particularly loud frog in my backyard. <laughs> it's been here for about a week now. And I've caught some really good recordings of him or her. I, I haven't seen him. Um, 
that I plan on using uh, for something in the future dinosaur related because you can take something as little as a frog call and time stretch it and pitch it down and distort it and combine it with other things to create something that you would have never guessed started as a frog. And that's kind of the basis for, you know, when you hear me talk about some of the animals I've used for other dino calls, you would wonder how the heck did you make a, a cat hissing sound turn into a dino call? And it's all sorts of sound design, you know, manipulation and whatnot, which would be a perfect segue for the next question. Yeah, next question. So this is from Sebastian Sanchez. Uh, regarding dinosaur calls, what are some of them inspired by? And he is especially curious about the Concavenator's call, as he was one of the people who donated to make that uh, a reality in the game. Oh, he was. Oh, well, thank you so much, uh, Sebastian, for your generosity there. Um, I hope you really like those calls. Um, yeah, the the inspiration, lots of times what will happen is Jiggy and I will sit down and... Um, when we're doing dinosaurs of our own, or obviously when uh, someone who's generously supported us, who has um, requested a certain dino to be in the game, sometimes they will submit the animals that they would like the call to be based on. Um, the inspiration normally tends to be finding the sound in there, finding the animal sound that you feel like everything else can support. Almost every dino call has one or two core animal sounds in it that are stronger than the others that are more highlighted or more leaned upon. And then other sounds will be used to reinforce that sound to make it bigger. Uh, in the case of the concavenator, that was uh, probably, that one had about as many sounds as I would normally ever use in a dino call. Uh, there were uh, two different types of snake sounds from a cobra and a viper. Um, Cause in particular, a cobra or a snake, a stereotypical snake hissing sound can be really good for getting that top end clarity that you could blend into another animal. Um, and then there are other snake sounds that can actually be pretty guttural. Um, an example, uh, we're going to talk about cassowaries too in the future. There are some animals that make some very, very unexpected sounds. And I believe it was the viper sound in that case had actually quite a lot of low end uh, weight and body to it. Um, and then mixed in with there, I went into that one planning on using snake and cat sounds uh, primarily and using an actual just domestic house cat hissing sound uh, along with uh, some sounds from a leopard. Those were the things that um, kind of filled out, the leopard in particular, I think was what filled out more the kind of body of the sound. Because generally I go into every sound looking to try to get top end clarity, mid-range body, and then however much low end sort of girth is appropriate for the size of the dinosaur. Some of the little guys, you're gonna hardly have any of that, if any at all. Uh, but then some of the bigger dinos, you really wanna lean on. This one's gonna be more about the low and mid-range and less about the high end clarity. And then the smaller dinosaurs kind of tilting in the other direction. And then based on whichever tilt you need, based on the size of the dinosaur, I would kind of select my animal sounds appropriately you know, for that. And in this case with the, um, the concavenator, it's, uh, it was a matter of finding more of the top end clarity, which is why there's cat hissing, uh, snake hissing, and there's a hawk. I think it was a, I can't remember what kind of hawk it was, but there was a hawk in there as well. So lots of top end clarity going on with that one. Awesome. Uh, we have another one uh, from both Mad and Melanie Fan. And they asked, uh, what did you use to make the Spinosaurus calls? That's an example of one I remember uh, when 
you first showed me the um, when I first saw the model for it, as well as the uh, the kind of physical breakdown of the dyno. I thought this thing is just really sharp and pointy and scary, <laughs> scary looking, and it should be appropriately sharp and pointy and scary sounding. Um, I remember actually really, really looking forward to doing that one. Um, that was a matter of uh, much bigger dyno, so I wanted to find something that really represented the body and the size of that as to be the primary sound, which was what came from uh, both elephant and alligator sounds in that one. And then for the top end clarity, I actually used something similar that I did with the um, with the previous one, with the concavenator, with the cobra uh, hissing. And then I had a barn owl uh, screech in there as well, just to give it a little bit of, uh, I think, kind of mid-range clarity in there. Because again, when you're leaning on big elephant, big alligator sound, you oftentimes for me anyway, I like to have something poking through there a little bit. So there's a barn owl that I'm pretty sure was uh, stretched and pitched down and kind of fitted into the gaps that were left behind after the cobra hissing made up some of the top end component and the elephant, the gator sound made up the bottom end of that. Um, yeah, that one in particular, I really enjoyed. Awesome. Uh, and Alex Gibb is asking, uh, what are the possibilities of using cassowary calls for one of the dinosaurs? I feel like the cassowary has a very distinct dinosaur-like call that would fit well on a carnivore. I agree, definitely. And we did actually use a little bit of a cassowary uh, element in a dino already, although it was a very small element that wasn't, you know, super indicative of a cassowary. Um, that was the uh, Diononychus. Um, and it was, it was, I think it was used, I'm looking at my session here, I believe it was used in the friendly call, actually, for that one, um, either the friendly call or the alert call, but something fairly short. And um, yeah, I would absolutely love to uh, use that for a future one, uh, for a future dinosaur, rather. And I actually have in this session um, some calls that I had, now that I'm looking at it, earmarked to use in the future because they felt like they were appropriate for something, but not for this particular dino. So yeah, absolutely plan on, um, plan on using those. Uh, Anon Max and Rook Rabbit have both asked, uh, which call was the hardest to figure out and which call was the easiest? <laughs> I, there were definitely a couple in there that were really difficult for me to figure out. Uh, I remember the, maybe not the Latin being a tough one. Yes. Yeah. Between the, it was between the Latin and, um, that, yeah, the Latin in particular, that would definitely probably be the toughest one because we had some, we had some inspiration for animal sounds that we wanted to use for it. And they kind of just proved as much as we wanted to use them, they proved to be really difficult to integrate. When you're combining animal sounds together, as you can imagine, it's really easy for it to become a mess if you're not careful. And it's really easy for certain sounds to just not work well together, not complement each other well. And no matter how much you try to smash them together, you know, it's just not working. So I would definitely say the Latin uh, was probably the most difficult. Um, and uh, took the longest for sure. I mean, sometimes when I get stuck on something like that and I'm not happy with how it's coming out, it can start to take days, you know, maybe even a week uh, of dedicated time to really get to the core of it. That That's definitely an outlier. Um, but that was, the smaller dinos can be really difficult um, because the the bigger ones, it's e big sounds are easy. You've got lots of big animal sounds that you can use. Uh, but the little guys, um, they it can become really difficult to 
I don't want to say disguise, but it can, it, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can hide behind in terms of size. You know, you can make things big and loud and mean and imposing. Um, just like, you know, for musicians out there, a good example would be for any drummers, it's really easy to conjure up loudness and excitement and energy from drums. And it can be really, really difficult in a musical context to conjure up something soft or delicate or, you know, gentle. And that's kind of how it is with the dinosaur sounds. You know, these little guys, you want them to sound fierce sometimes, you know, for the more aggressive ones in particular, but it can be really difficult to find the right kind of sounds to make that happen without leaning on the crutch of having, you know, having big animals with the power behind them to kind of save you a little bit. So, um, and if on that note, I would say the Spinosaurus was probably one of the easiest. Um, and uh, going back uh, initially, the, um, which one? I think the Stegosaurus too was fairly straightforward. Um, the, like I just said, the biggest guys tend to be the easiest. Um, they can be a little bit more difficult from a mixing standpoint. Like sometimes they can get really muddy or indistinct. I know Jiggy and I have gone back and forth on that. She's always really wanted all the sounds to really have their own really identifiable character. And sometimes when you make big and loud too many times, you can just have three different dinosaurs that are just three slightly different flavors of big and loud and the, you know, the kind of individuality gets lost. So um, they can be a little bit more technically challenging, but technically challenging, I'll take 10 out of 10 times over creatively challenging for sure. Mm. All right. We have another question from Millie. What are the plans concerning environmental sounds? Are you planning on adding particular sounds that you deem fitting for the roaming times of the dinosaurs, like certain species of birds or small flyers, etc.? And if so, what would they sound like? That's a good question, actually, and that's been a topic of conversation between you and I about what we felt like was appropriate for the environment sounds. Um, we wanted to try and strip out as much... Uh, well, first off, we wanted to make sure that there was nothing... Uh, that could be considered prehistorically inaccurate uh, in the environment sounds. Uh, I remember in particular, Jiggy, you had um, pointed out like uh, red-winged blackbirds as having such a distinctive sounding call that that might pop up in, a, in an audio recording of the outdoors that can't be there because that's very distinctively, you know, a, a modern bird, so to speak. And same thing, you know, with... Um, uh, I've recorded some of my own outdoor ambience as well as use some stuff uh, from Boom Audio. They have some great uh, outdoor environmental recordings that are taken, you know, likely in parts of the world that I don't have access to. Um, so stripping out the elements of those recordings uh, to make sure they don't have anything to, I mean, insects and things like that can be okay, you know, because certainly there's prehistoric precedent for all sorts of different forms of insect life. Um, but yeah, having bird calls, I, I've spent days uh, combing through uh, environmental recordings, just editing out bird calls because uh, we wanted to actually make sure that we didn't have any um, in the environmental sounds, uh, not only because of the accuracy uh, purposes that I just mentioned, but also because, you know, in the future, should we want to and plan on doing potentially uh, integrating anything that could take up that space of audio, you know, whether that be a flying dinosaur or whether that be something that sounds similar, you don't want anything sounding similar in your background audio that also exists in the world because that would be confusing. You know, you don't want to be hearing stuff 
that you would be hearing coming from another player that's just, you know, playing in your background ambience. So generally speaking, I just try and lean on uh, having outdoor recordings that are appropriate for the environment, whether it be, uh, you know, open plains or a densely packed forest, whether that be like a redwood forest that's going to have your foliage mostly up, up top, way up high, or kind of more of a deciduous forest where you have uh, leaves and rustling sounds and trees that are much closer you know, to the ground. Um, using environmental recordings that are appropriate for that. And then layering in, you know, for weather and stuff like that, layering in storm sounds, layering in wind and rain and lightning and thunder. Well, I guess you wouldn't have lightning in your audio, but thunder um, and uh, those sorts of elements. And then just trying to keep them, you know, as neutral and as pleasing sounding uh, as possible, because it's an omnipresent sound in the game. And if it if it's fatiguing at all, or if it's tough to listen to, or if it's irritating, that's a really bad thing to have for something that you're going to force people to listen to all the time. So uh, using EQ and stuff like that to balance that out. Another one was that we tried to avoid having any um, either both high-pitched or low-pitched like sounds that take up the, the bottom half of the audio spectrum, because you don't want people not being able to hear footstep sounds. That was really important, if you remember that. Yes, yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, it, it, during certain types of sounds, like when it's stormy and windy and stuff like that, you will have a low end component and it makes sense that you wouldn't be able to necessarily hear things in that spectrum during those sorts of weather events. But absolutely for your normal weather, um, you have the most identifiable components of the calls and the footsteps. Footsteps, the most identifiable components are gonna be upper mid-range, the actual articulate sound of dinosaur foot hitting ground, you know, whether it's grass or water or something along those lines. And that kind of exists in that upper mid-range realm that's fatiguing to listen to for a long period of time, which is why I will tend to EQ that out of the environment sound, but important to be able to hear if it's coming from another player, which works out perfectly. That way it can slot right there into that part that I've cut out of the environmental audio. And then same thing for the low end. We got a big dinosaur that really has some sub, you know, bass thumping sounds. You don't want anything in your environmental audio that's taking up that kind of that kind of space unless it's appropriate to do so, like with the storms and whatnot. So yeah, we've definitely paid attention to that in the creation of the sounds, and then we'll absolutely continue sort of refining that idea when it comes to implementation. Awesome. And the last question that I'll answer is by um, Ty Anderson. And they've asked, will it be possible to make mods or change and add dinosaur calls? Um, and the answer to that one is yes, absolutely. Um, we'll be having, it, it's easy enough to import your own sounds into the game and stick them onto your own animations. If you're making your own dinosaurs or um, environmental sounds, like if you're making, let's say, a desert map or a swamp map and you want a specific kind of ambience to go along with that, that's um, easy enough. That can go into your map making or something like that. Um, and for the dinosaur calls where you might want to change a dinosaur call, all of the audio files are there, and if you wanted to, you know, export one of our di current dinosaur calls and pitch it up or pitch it down or add a different, you know, layer of audio somehow to it, um, or distort it, then you're absolutely free to, and then you can place it over top our dinosaur calls if you wanted to swap them out with something. So, it's all modular, you can do what you're interested in, um, and there's not really any limitations to it, so... And that's actually why we intentionally, we were initially planning on using for all the audio integration, uh, a 
program called WISE, which is an audio middleware um, program. And uh, it handles all, handles almost everything in terms of uh, audio integration and mixing and layering and blending and fading and all that kind of, you know, distance um, sort of fade or distance occlusion and various different forms of, you know, mimicking things in the environment uh, in terms of reflectivity and all that kind of stuff. And then we realize, oh, shoot, that's not going to be very modding friendly, though, because it would require people to, A, have wise and B, know how to use it. So we intentionally went for a much simpler approach there by just integrating the sounds directly into the uh, UE4 engine. Um, that way, it's much, much lower barrier to entry for you to be able to go in there, uh, modify things, swap things out, um, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, that's all the questions we have for now. Um, in the future, if you guys have more questions, we can absolutely answer them if you send them to our email. And um, yeah, otherwise, thank you so much for watching. And thank you, Val, for um, taking the time to you know answer them. I really appreciate them. Absolutely. Sure too. Yeah. And thank you to everybody that submitted these questions. These were fantastic. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody.